Welcome back to Campaign War Stories. This is the podcast where we talk to folks in the political industry about the lessons they learned during the insanity of campaign life. Today, we're joined by political attorney Matthew Sanderson. The legal side is something we really haven't covered much on this podcast, and it's a super interesting discussion, but what was a lot of fun was diving into his story of creating the Playoff Pack, which took on the college football establishment. So how's it going today, man? It's going great. It's a nice, uh, nice summer morning in Washington, so I can't complain. I love this time of year, actually. Well, it's disgusting here in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent humidity this morning, and I had a great morning where a water main broke on my street, and I didn't even get the opportunity to take a shower. So uh, it's been <laughs> one of the been one of those days. I had to brush my teeth at the office. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a those are always good when you. Can... So excuse the funny hat, like the uh, you get to see it. We only use the audio for the podcast. The 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 podcast uh, the listeners won't see the, the hat, but it's one of those days. Couldn't even fix yeah. my hair. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So you're our first attorney. Um, not that some of the political consultants weren't att- are an attorney, some of them are, but I mean, you're the first practicing attorney that can kind of, uh, give us a different perspective of this camping life. So tell me what you do and how you got into it. Yeah. So I, I run the political law group at Kaplan and Drysdale, which is a law firm in Washington. And we, uh, hundred percent of what we do is advise, uh, big corporations, big nonprofits campaigns on how to comply with all the laws that touch politics. So campaign finance rules, uh, you want to try to move money in politics, we advise on those types of rules, uh, lobbying disclosure laws. So you, if someone wants to, um, sorry about that, if someone wants right. to discuss uh, 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 policy with government, uh, there are rules and, and disclosure forms that need to be filled out. We help people uh, fill out those forms and comply with the law. And then, you know, if you want to have an event with government officials, there are all sorts of ethics and and gift restrictions. So we advise on those. But a lot of, you know, kind of how I cut my teeth is coming up in the uh, McCain campaign in 2008. That was kind of my first gig in politics. Okay. And, you know, that is, I think, from a, for most part, from a lawyer's standpoint, what uh, a campaign is is really a startup on steroids. You you, you yeah. start from nothing, and uh, you know maybe a bank account at, at the beginning, and then particularly a national campaign, you in a very regulated space grow from nothing to you know several hundred uh, people and consultants, and so all the stuff that comes along with that. Not only the regulatory advice, but also just you know corporate formation, contract review, that kind of thing. And, and it all works at the speed of politics. So that was helpful for me having that be that kind of having the McCain campaign be my first uh, legal gig is, you know, if you weren't going to look at something in five minutes, in, in the next five minutes, it was going to go out the door anyway. So you darn well better look at it and edit it. Um, and, and I've kept that kind of pace and approach with me uh, for the last 15 years. Now, were you doing law before the McCain campaign? I was fresh out of law school. So yeah, a tremendous opportunity. I had known um, Trevor Potter, who was the general counsel for the McCain campaign. I'd known him before. I'd done some undergrad research and an internship for a nonprofit that he worked with. And so got to know him. And then uh, he was nice enough to offer me a gig right out of law school uh, with the campaign. So it was a uh, Drinking from a fire hose, twenty four seven kind of operation, and and it suited me well. I, I, it upped my pain tolerance for you know <laughs> a number of work hours that I would later absorb. Uh, so it's good. 
Well, nothing I learned in school prepared me for the speed at which I would have to operate in this political world. And what you said a while ago was super fascinating about your mindset of if I don't get to it now, it's going to go out the door with without my <laughs> my consent. Like that had to be a culture shock, right? They don't teach that in law school. No, yeah, you're ten, you're supposed to be deliberative. You're supposed to be thoughtful, and 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 you still have to do that. You just like I said, it's going to go. The ad is going to go out in the next five minutes, so you, you better figure out how to tweak everything and and compress your uh cons- kind of triage your process so that you're handling the biggest concerns. So you're you're right. It's a big adjustment from what uh particularly the slow pace of law school all of a sudden getting thrown into a national campaign where there's, you know, you have to comply with federal election commission rules. Uh you have to, there are state election laws that you have to think about. And then, you know, there's the political angle overall, which I, I think is kind of unique to this practice, which is you know, I very much try to stay focused on the law and legal considerations, but there's always a reputational angle. There's always a PR angle to this area. And that's why I've I've loved it is, is there's um, not only the core legal violations, but there are also reputation management and risk management that comes along with every single call you make for help a client make. That's really... Uh refreshing to hear you say that. So I wrote a book actually uh, yesterday was the one year anniversary of my book. It's called Under Fire. There's a whole chapter in there. It's called Talk to Attorneys dot 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 sparingly. And <laughs> and I talk about how, you know, attorneys need to keep you out of jail, keep you out of uh any kind of, you know, legal trouble. But too many attorneys don't take the PR side into consideration, meaning sometimes the PR side could cost you more money than actual the legal side. So um it, it's interesting here you say that because that's not the mindset at all of of most attorneys. They just they don't take that into consideration at all. Yeah, I, I think it's a must, right? Especially if you're operating at a high pace and and enforcement is relatively rare, right? Like you don't see a lot of campaigns rung up for you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of expenses. But what can cost them money is having a footfall legally or or having some scandal mature into more of a a, a real lasting reputational harm. That that costs real money and that's a real issue overall and a headwind for a campaign. And so I think keeping those things in mind all the time, that's why, yeah, one of the things I usually when I walk into a campaign for the first time, I think people have very much have this mindset and it's understandable, but what I try to do my kind of my first order of business is establishing some trust and understanding, helping uh, the key decision makers in a campaign, understand that I have business sense. I have political sense and, and it makes sense to talk with me. I'm not a log jam. I'm not Dr. No, uh, yeah. I'm not going to tell you no every time you want to do something, but we're going to figure out the best way so that uh, forward. And and there is all, almost always, especially in a heavily regulated context, there's almost always a legal consideration to at least keep in mind out there short of going yeah. to jail. Yeah, exactly. I, in my book, and I, don't, I didn't come to talk about my book at all, but um I told a story and I don't remember this, the exact specifics, but there was like, a, I think it was a United flight and there was a doctor, an Asian doctor who uh, did something and ended up getting beat up by the flight attendants. Okay. And the attorneys, 
I'll find the story and email it to you. The attorneys didn't let them respond publicly because of the legal ramifications, thinking, all right, well, you're going to, if you respond, you might have to pay this guy an extra like $5 million or something, whatever that number was. I say it in the book. But that because of the video and the public relations disaster that erupted while the attorneys wouldn't let them put out a statement, they lost a, like a billion dollars in stock price. Yeah. So to like save $5 million, you know, on the advice of the attorney, a, a billion dollar loss. Yeah, that's actually so interesting because I that's a that's a window into my everyday life. So I represent lobbying firms, I represent campaigns as I said, and you know, so if they're they end up in a crisis, usually I'm not a litigator, so usually they're bringing in other counsel to handle, you know, in the case of a lawsuit something like that. And so I'm typically kind of the intermediary between the litigators who don't want people to say anything um, and, you know, the lobbying firm or the campaign that says we need to say something now. I, I'm usually playing translator between the two. Like, look, you can't just clam up and not sit and go you know, into the fetal position and expect that everything's going to go well uh, for the client here. And so I'm saying that to the litigators. And on the other hand, talking to the communicator saying, look, you need to say something, but we need to make sure that it it goes out and it it is tailored and crafted and something we're comfortable with and something we can always stand behind because usually what the communicators want to do in this in this circumstance is get something out the door immediately. And that's important. But what's most important is to avoid kind of a drip, drip, drip scenario where facts that are put out there in the beginning or later disproven. And so that, I find myself in that squeeze in between the two camps uh, quite frequently. And I understand both concerns and, and they do need to be both navigated. So last week we screwed something up on a, a share image for a, a U.S. Senate candidate. It uh, had a misspelled word on it. And it happened because we were just moving too fast. And you know, the opposition picked it up and made fun of us and tweeted it out. And it was embarrassing for us and it was embarrassing for the client. But that happens when you move that fast. You, on the other hand, have like, I guess my point was there was no ramifications. Like, so what? It was like a, an embarrassing little stupid Facebook image, right? Yeah. But you have to move almost as fast with actual like legal documents and your actions and your mistakes actually have real ramifications. Like, how are you able to move at a political speed and pay attention to such fine details? Does that keep you up at night? Yeah, I, I, I think you're always worried about those. You know, you're you're making flash judgments quite a, quite frequently, um, trying to take in as much information, trying to have a crystal ball and see see what might happen in the future, what consequences there might be. I, I think it's just. Um, it's it's part of what gets the blood flowing actually for me is is knowing yeah. that there that I do have to be that on point with with uh, a lot of matters that I handle some of the some of the stuff I do is is for you know big companies and big nonprofits and it's a slower yeah. pace but in terms of campaigns you're right like there there you do have to make step judgments those do have real consequences for both me and for the client and so uh, I guess I I try not to think about that piece. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't. And You'll move, never sleep. Just trust my gut and my experience, and and the 15 years I've been doing that. Lean on that to uh, make sure that I'm I'm doing the right thing in any given instance. That's super impressive, man. So, um, 
before we get into your story, besides McCain, what are some other big ones that you've you've been on? Uh, McCain, Rick Perry, Mitt Romney, um, uh, Rand Paul, uh, wow. John Huntsman. So yeah, I represented almost every uh, corner of the Republican Party. Most of my practice, though, is kind of uh, bipartisan in that okay. I represent some left-leaning groups. I represent some right-leaning groups. So I, lo- I represent a lot of centrist groups. Kind of the McCain-Romney uh, 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 world is where I cut my teeth, and that's that's sort of the center of my practice as well. Yeah, well, McCain and Huntsman are seen as centrist, and Romney wasn't, but now is. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that is interesting <laughs> to see how the the window has has shifted. Certainly, yeah. But you also have this this pack that uh, that you were working on. We wanted to jump into your story, so tell me tell me about playoff pack. Yeah, that's that's a quirky little story. It was a huge time suck there for a second, but it, it was it it kind of represents my. Uh, one time moonlighting is not a political law attorney, but a, as a political consultant myself, sort of running uh, my own operation. Uh, so so back in uh, 2008, uh, it, I guess we can go back to January 2009, really. Um, I'm a rabid college football fan. My alma mater is the University of Utah. Uh, Utah went undefeated through the uh its season it was the only undefeated team it it did not win the national championship uh because of something called the bowl championship series utah being a smaller school wasn't even allowed to compete for the championship just the top two teams were allowed to compete and so even though it had it had gone undefeated it wasn't uh permitted because it wasn't a blue blood it wasn't allowed to actually win on the field or lose on the field it it was just kept out altogether uh because of these bull championship or bcs uh gatekeepers so uh being the rabid college football fan that i am i began to think of this as kind of a political problem and and because of my professional background so i got together with a bunch of uh, friends who are also rabid Utah Utah football fans, and we decided to start a political action committee uh, to take down the bowl uh, championship series, the BCS. Mm-hmm. And so we put uh, we put it together. You know, I was able to uh, bring the FEC, you know, Federal Election Commission expertise and and that piece and lobbying. Um, and then, uh, you know, one of my friends did IP work. And so he was able to get in touch with some friends and have them drop a logo. Uh, another friend did corporate law. So we drafted the corporate papers to make sure that we were all done up that way. And so we just got to work on this kind of harebrained idea. We thought, you know, if we could just put something together, we'll get a lot of grassroots donations. We'll get a ton of money and then we'll be able to give money. We'll do the same thing that every PAC does, which we'll give money to each uh, member of Congress. And then we'll build this coalition to try to change uh, college football from a postseason that is this full championship series, this very limited one game scenario to a full blown playoff. Uh, so we thought we were going to do what every PAC does and, and raise some money. Um, the interesting thing about that is we barely raised any money. We ultimately raised only $14,000, um, which is which is interesting because we had, but, so we didn't raise a lot of money, but what we were able to do is take advantage of this very interesting dynamic, which is everyone who's in sports kind of wants to be in politics and yeah. everyone who's in politics kind of wants to be in sports. 
And so we sat at this nexus of, uh, you know, political writers would write about us because we were a sports story. Sports writers would write about us because we're a political story. Lobbyists would help us because they really want, they were really into college football and felt like it was fun to moonlight um, doing that kind of the thing. And so we were able to really leverage quite a few resources uh, to uh, to put forth put forward a really professional product and and how it evolved is kind of interesting because so we I went the thing that I did have is I had connections on Capitol Hill so I went to a few staffers got on our launch memo or our press release I was able to get some some statements from Orrin Hatch from. Uh, uh, from a couple of different members of Congress and say, you know, essentially endorse the founding of this, this pack. But all at that point we were was five guys in a press release. And, and um, it was very entertaining. It is one of my, I, I keep this in mind all the time when I'm talking to a client about how to respond to a PR crisis. Mm-hmm. The, the BCS, the college football powers that be, they did the exact wrong thing which is they, we had a press release, we sent it out, we got a little, little tiny AP story. They went absolutely crazy in trying to uh, squash us. And so they, all of a sudden we were getting attacked on a sports center. We were getting attacked on virtually every sports show. They hired Ari Fleischer uh, to combat us. They announced it. We're hiring Ari Fleischer to try to, you know, ward off this, this, uh, playoff pack and they absolutely breathed all life into our little effort which it would have been nothing had they just let it pass <laughs> beautiful um and so we all of a sudden got all this attention and and we we built on that we we still raised no money but we were able to get enough resources together um that you know that's that's how it started and i always keep that in mind is like there the Streisand effect is real uh yeah. you can react to a store overreact to a story and actually help your opponents quite a bit so what was the result what happened so it, yeah it, it was a couple year project it, like i said a huge time suck you, you you do not want to mention playoff pack around my wife she she was because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it wasn't a paying client right like yeah thing is a passion project so what we ended up doing, so we originally thought we would be, you know, giving money to politicians, but what we ended up doing was really putting together our expertise and uh, commissioning a lot of uh, reports that ultimately resulted in legal complaints. So we ended up filing. So I remember very vividly, we hadn't done any of the stuff we'd just basically been doing. We had a website, we'd been putting out press releases, they had been still, re- the BCS had been reacting. And then we decided to get into a little bit harder stuff. We came into some information that suggested that campaign finance rules were violated and tax rules were violated by the uh, Fiesta Bowl uh, oh, in wow. Arizona, which is one of the one was one of the BCS bowls, one of the big college bowls. And so we decided we had this big long deliberation. Do we want to get into this? Is this even fruitful? And we ultimately decided to move forward with a legal complaint uh, to the Arizona Secretary of State, which is responsible for uh, enforcing campaign finance laws, um, and, and then also went to DOJ and the FEC. And ultimately, what that turned into was a $5 million loss for the Fiesta Bowl. So they they had that much in legal expenses because 
what resulted was the firing of all the top leadership. Two people went to jail, two others pled guilty to these violations. And oh, so shit. that really took the shine off of something that had had you know been seen as kind of a white hat organization overall. These bulls have been kind of untouchable. Um, and so that that kicked off what we did, and we we ultimately had uh, 13 different legal complaints that we filed. So so violations of campaign finance rules, charitable uh, you know regulations, uh, antitrust laws. At one point, uh, the the BCS was under investigation uh, by the IRS, the Federal Election Commission, the Arizona Attorney General, the Department of Justice, and multiple congressional committees. So we we fed complaints to congressional committees, and they, you know, announced hearings. And what that ultimately resulted in was uh, the BCS really reforming itself in the near term. It, they they you know, discontinued a lot of their unsavory practices, their political giving, their uh, kind of favor factory that they had developed to keep influence. So they would bring in on on taxpayer dime, on charitable dollars, they would bring in these coaches and these athletic directors to, you know, spend a week on uh, spend a week on a cruise boat in the Caribbean if you're the orange, if they were the orange bowl. Um, all the while kind of bilking schools for money. So, so they discontinued a lot of those, uh, those, um, those practices and, and then announced immediately after that, that they would be changing to a playoff. Um, and so there, there are, there are several causes, but I, I was pleased, you know, we, we were nominated for a uh, sportsman of the year and sports illustrated, um, <laughs> And got a lot of, co- you know, there was a lot of coverage at the time, New York Times, ESPN, the magazine, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people identified with the story because a lot of times as fans, as sports fans, you feel yeah. kind of uh, powerless to shape the game that you love. Uh, but this was uh, luckily something we were able to to do uh, through, you know, something different than what we set out to do in the beginning, but we were able to let it evolve and then take off after that. Oh, man, I love that so much. I mean, it sounds like you, I mean, just taking that political mentality to solving a, a bigger outside problem. I mean, had it not been for the political campaigns that you've been a part of, you wouldn't have been able to do that. I mean, not not just your legal expertise, but, you know, it, it sounds like you took just political strategy to this to this problem. Yeah, completely. Yeah, there were a million different little tricks that I had learned watching uh, very good political consultants in the past, which, you know, for example, we we ran an ad that attacked uh, the the BCS. Um, it was only placed in two different spots, right? But we announced it and we got a ton of earned media out of that, right? We, That's a political we tactic. It. It's a completely <laughs> political tactic. Um, you know, getting thing, getting people on your press release, you know, Putting out, um, making sure that you're actively opposing every every statement that's put out by the BCS, um, pointing out conflicts of interest. It, it was a very political operation in a real sense. It was a little bit. It was a little bit different in that we actually filed legal complaints, which is not. I mean, you sometimes do that in a campaign setting, but not all the time. Um, but it was. Uh, I even I even had a you know along the lines of being a very political operation. I even debated uh, had a public debate with the BCS, the founder of the BCS um, that, that was uh, moderated by Jeremy Schapp. So it had a very campaigny type of type of feel to the whole thing. 
Oh man, that's awesome. Well, I'm a I'm a huge uh college football fan myself as a Who's your team? Uni- as a University of South Carolina Gamecock. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah. We're finally making a comeback with with Shane Beamer after some really tough times under Will Muschamp. Yeah, a lot of he should be a defensive coordinator and nothing else, I think. Yeah, I, you know, I was never a, a a big so obviously Clemson's our rival. And I yeah. was never a big Dabo fan, mm-hmm. but what I realized is that he's got this energy that connects with this generation of young men. And you're yeah. seeing that same thing with Shane, with Shane Beamer and Will Muschamp. It wasn't his, I don't believe his talents as a football coach. I think it's just, he's a angry troll of a man who couldn't connect with these young men. He, he, there was no mo. This there was just no team there ever. I mean, we I couldn't tell what we were looking at uh, for those years, but it wasn't a team. There was no energy, no motivation. Those boys just didn't look like they had anybody psyching them up. Yeah, yeah, that matters, right? Like you, you, they're all talented, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be playing football at South Carolina. But getting that extra level that. it does take, I think, a special personality, and it's a different skill set than knowing the X's and O's of being a defensive coordinator. Yeah. Or defensive coordinator, it's actually being able to lead people, which not everybody can do. Yeah. Well, I, I just think that that you're going to start seeing more of these Dabo Swinney, Shane Beamer uh, type leaders, more of the energetic, young, positive. You know that this this yeah. focus on that, positivity, almost like a lasso. Have you seen the Minnesota coach? That guy's just completely over the top. He's just like crazy. So yeah, no, I, think, I need to go right, look him up. There's going to be less. Uh, there's going to be less Nick Saban uh, style, like kind of fig- purely figureheads and more like rah rah type of guys. Like, yeah, it's going to be less uh, Nick Saban's and more like Ted Lasso's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, <laughs> that's a good. That's a good uh, thought. Well, um, man, this has been great. I really appreciate it. You brought a, a totally unique perspective to the podcast. So uh, we got to yeah, do this really, again sometime. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Really great talking to you. Appreciate it, man. Thank All you. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye.